Okay, good morning everyone. Do you want to just grab a seat and we will get started. If you've got a Bible, could you go to John chapter 1? John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be heading in just a moment. Now, what I want to be looking at today is the title of today's sermon is A Man uh, Used by God. A Man Used by God. And upon reflecting on this as we're coming, I was coming to prepare and thinking and praying about what we wanted, I was struck as I thought about the men of Real Life Church of how many men we've got in this church who are devoted to Jesus and want to be used by God in wherever He's placed them in their workplaces. Many, many of you are employed, have jobs. You go to those places, or even if you work voluntarily, they spend time there in your homes, in your families, in your relationships, some of your husbands, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, and brothers, and the like. And many of you have a desire to be used by God in those areas, to be used for his kingdom, for used to see um, the world transformed and others come to know Jesus as you come to know, have known, come to know Jesus. And what I want to share with you today is some keys that I've thought as I was reading my Bible that hopefully I'll pass on and help you. So on your bottle, you should have a key, which handily doubles up as a bottle opener so you can crack this while I'm speaking. Apparently, I sound better after a beer, just saying. But you can crack this and have a listen. So get your key in your hand. And what I want to look at today is three keys of what it means for a man to be used by God. Now, obviously, when you talk about this, this applies equally to women as well. I'm focusing on the men because it's Father's Day. But actually, this is applicable to all of us in um, how we follow Jesus. And we've got three things I want to look at. I want to look at, first key is to know who you aren't. The second key is to know who you are. And the third key is to know your purpose. So, if you found John chapter 1, I'm going to read. It should appear on the screen behind you. I'm just going to read a few verses from the beginning of John 1. It says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem, sorry, from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they've been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. All right. This is a a section of John's gospel. We've got John, the gospel writer, who is one of Jesus' disciples. Um, a friend of Jesus, the beloved disciple, but he's writing about another John here, John the Baptist. And we know from the um, other Gospels, as well as this one, John the Baptist appears in all four Gospels. We know a little bit of information about this man. We know that he was a son of Zechariah and Elizabeth and was somehow possibly related to Jesus. 
He was a bit of an interesting fellow because he wore clothes of camel's hair, the leather belt, and he ate locusts and wild honey, it said. So he must have been quite an interesting figure to meet on the street. He came preaching repentance and he baptized many people. He was critical of the religious authorities at the time and spoke out against them. And most famously, he was the one who baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. And so I want to look at the first key today. So if you've got your key, the first key that we can learn from John is he knew who he wasn't. It says at the beginning of the passage that people had come down from Jerusalem, members of the religious order. The reason they'd done that, because John was causing a stir where he was. He was preaching and crowds were coming to him throughout the region. He was baptizing people in the River Jordan and the religious bigwigs in Jerusalem got wind of this, were traveled, and they sent a delegation out, what's going on down there? So they sent some people down to John and said, let's go find out what's going on. Should we be worried? Should we be concerned about this? Was presumably going through their mind. And this this delegation went to John and they started asking him questions. Who are you, they're saying. And the first one is, John says, who he starts by saying who he's not. The first thing he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the anointed one, I'm not the one you've been waiting for, the one that the Old Testament has been building towards, the one that the prophets promised would be coming one day. I'm not him. And in fact, he was quite emphatic about it. He said he confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He makes that abundantly clear. There was an anticipation at the time that the Messiah would come, And when the Messiah came, they would get rid of the hated Romans. So there was kind of like an excitement. If the Messiah's turned up, brilliant. We can get rid of Roman Roman rulers, those oppressors who've come and taken over our land and all the horrible things they do. And so there was obviously an excitement. It's like, if you're the Christ, gung-ho, let's go. But John was very clear. No, 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 I'm not the Christ. I'm definitely not that person. And they're like, okay, let's try strike two. Okay, are you Elijah? And Elijah was a prophet from Israel's history, um, a quite an incredible character. And one of the things that's known about Elijah is that he did not die. He was actually taken up into heaven by a chariot, a chariot of fire. And so there was an expectation that he would return um, because he didn't die, he would come back. And where John was preaching was kind of the area where he'd, already, he'd gone to heaven. So there was like, a, well, maybe he's come back. Like, are you Elijah kind of returned from heaven? Have you come back? Are you that guy? And again, he was emphatic. He's like, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not that one. I haven't, I'm not, I haven't been reincarnated or I haven't returned from heaven with a message or something, you know, about what I've been doing for the past few hundred years. I am not that person. I'm not Elijah. Although the Gospels do Eli, um, note that he, he has a similar role to Elijah in preparing people for the coming Messiah. He's very clear, I am not Elijah. And the last one is like, are you a prophet? The prophet. And that, when it's the prophet, it's reference to Moses, the one who brought the law to the people. Well, maybe, maybe you're that, because there was prophecies in Deuteronomy about there's someone coming to, to raise up a prophet like Moses. We know that meant was with reference to Jesus. But actually, they're like, John, is that you? Are you that guy? And again, what did he say? No. I'm not any of those people. And there's a key for us here in actually knowing who we're not. Because we live in a world where we'll be pressured 
to be so many things. We will be told that we are so many things. And many of those things are untrue. And the crowd wanted John to be one of those things. They were in anticipation, please be this, please be the Messiah, because that means something positive. If you are Elijah returned, that means good things. If you are a prophet like Moses come, then that also is a positive thing. So they, they wanted that from him. There was an incredible pressure to be something, to be that kind of man, to be that kind of person. But John was emphatic. He was not any of those things. And for us, Today, I want us to examine ourselves and remind ourselves what we're not. The first key, who aren't you? Because the world wants you to be a lot of things. And the world can shape you, pressure you to be things that you are not. It can do it by a number of ways. It can do it by something that is just constantly repeated to you over and over again, like a drip feed. That something has been said to you again and again and again and again and eventually you get to a point, well, that must be true about me. It can be something that is said to you by maybe a significant individual in your life. It might have only been said once or twice, but because of the position that person held in your life, a parent, a person in authority, like a teacher, a boss, even a church leader, it stuck with you. It can just be something that's breathed out by culture, the culture we walk in. It's the air we breathe. We can't get away from it. It's the, 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 um, the, the media we consume, the, the conversations we have around it. That, again, can influence. And there are many things out there that the world wants you to believe about yourself. And we need to be a man of God and wholeheartedly reject them because they're not true. They're lies. Humanistic Atheistic science will tell you that you are a random collection of cells brought together by chance, a cosmic byproduct. All feelings that you have are merely electrical impulses randomly firing in your body. And in essence, you have no value or worth. That's all it is. You're just one of those one in a billion, billion chances that's happened. And there you are. That's all you are. And that's it. And when you die, nothing. Gone. That's what they'll tell you. You could have been told by people many negative things about you. You could have been told you're worthless, that you amount to nothing, you're no good, you're useless, you're insignificant. You have no, nothing to contribute to your family, to your friends, to your workplace. On the other side, you could have been told things about yourself in a more positive way, that actually you are the center of the universe. Everything does revolve around you. You are God's gift to dot, 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 fill in the blank. And aren't you wonderful and amazing and everyone should kind of work it all way, work everything else around you. You can be told that what you do in life is how you define yourself. How well you do at school. Do you go to university? If so, what university you go to? What job you do? How much you earn? Where you live? The car you drive? your marriage status and relationships that you have there. And then we start having children and suddenly you're measured by how your children do and where they go to school and how they perform and suddenly they become the measure of who you are. And the reality is none of that is true. You aren't any of those things. And we need to live in a way that when those things come to us, when those things are put upon us, whether it's said to us, whether we 
feel it or whether the culture just kind of starts to squeeze us in those ways, we need to say, like John, no, that's not who I am. That's not how I'm going to be defined. It doesn't matter what you want from me. It doesn't matter how you think about me, how you think I should be. I am none of those things. And so I want to challenge you here today, guys and girls. Are there things in your life that you are believing about yourself that are not true? Are there things that have been said to you or things that you've perceived or just felt that pressure to act to be something that you are not? Because the first step to being a man or woman used by God is to know who you're not. Let's look at the second key. You've got your key. Let's go on. It says this. So they said to him, are you this? No, are you this? No, are you this? No. Well then, who are you? And what did he say? He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And you find this in the other Gospels as well, recorded about John the Baptist. He's quoting a passage from the prophet Isaiah. And he's very clear about who he is. I am the voice. I am the one crying out in the wilderness as fulfillment of that prophecy. And it's interesting, note three things I, I kind of noticed about John's reply. First one, he was clear and concise. He had a very clear idea of who he was. There was no hesitation. He did not phone a friend. He did not say, let me think about that, I'll get back to you. He didn't go and join a focus group or consult a self-help book. They asked him, he had an answer right there. This is who I am. And it was clear, and he had it right there in the forefront of his mind. There was no, no kind of wooliness, no shades of grey. Well, uh, I'm not really sure, but maybe. No, he had it right up in front. The second thing, his identity was grounded in God's word. He quoted the Old Testament, which for them, that would have been God's word. That was all they'd had at the time, the Old Testament scriptures. And he instantly, straight out, is the prophet Isaiah. And I will, that's who I am. I'm the one called by God to be the voice crying in the wilderness, which is the kind of area where he was in his ministry at the time. What defined him wasn't what others had put on him, Christ, Elijah, prophet. It was God's word that defined him. It didn't matter what others said because he was just that, they bounced off him. He just said, no, 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 I'm none of those things. And because he was clear in what he wanted, because he was grounded on God's word, he was easy to refute things that were false, that were said about him. The lies that came wouldn't stick because he knew the truth. He knew where he was. He knew who he was because of what God had said about him. And the third thing I noticed, which is interesting, by his absence, he didn't apologize. He didn't, he didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, I'm the voice, but you know, that might offend you. I'm sorry, but this is who I am. He was really blunt and upfront about it. This is who I am. This is what God has said about me. And so he was confident in it. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He was right out. These people have come. These were the, the guys from Jerusalem representing the religious authorities. These were senior people, officials. They would have been intimidating. A delegation came from Jerusalem, the capital, the center of everything for the Jewish people. They came, who are you? I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. And that was it. No, no shame on his part. No hesitation. Grounded in God's word. Clear and concise. And the second key 
for us today is that we need to know who we are. We need to know who we are. We need to know what God's word says about us and be very clear about that. To know it, to be able to articulate it, and to be confident in it. And thankfully, the Bible is very clear about who we are. Number one, it says, begins with the bad news. It says you're a sinner. It says you have fallen short of God's glory. You are an object of his wrath. You are under his judgment for all the evil things you have thought, said, and done. And for the things that you haven't done that you should have done. It's bad. That's where we start. That's what the Bible says about you. It starts with the bad news. That's who we are. But then it says that there's a man named Jesus who came. God himself came to earth. God the Son. He lived the perfect life. He died perfect death on the cross in our place for our sins. And at this point, everything changes. If you're a believer here, this is true for you. If you're not a believer here, that's where the story ends. And I want to offer you to come to know Jesus for yourself. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you at the end about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what God can do in your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says lots of wonderful things about you. It says that you are holy and you are righteous. It says that you are adopted children in God's family. He is your heavenly father. We've had that prayed out during the worship this morning. That's not just some nice platitude. That is a biblical truth about you as a follower of Jesus. It says that you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in you individually, but also corporately as the church. God's Spirit dwells amongst us. It says you are a royal priesthood. You can minister directly to God, have access to him personally whenever you want. It says you are forgiven. All our past, all our shame, all our sin dealt with, washed away. And as a result, we are a new creation. We have been declared not guilty before a holy and right God because of what Jesus has done. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt brings out flavor, it prevents decay, light shines in the darkness and the darkness must recede before it. That's who you are as a follower of Jesus. It says you are free from condemnation. No one can put an accusation against us. Not the enemy, not this world, about things we've done because we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus, who speaks on our behalf and we bear his righteousness. We have been born again. No longer dead, but alive spiritually. And the fascinating thing about this is you didn't earn any of it. It was given freely to you in Christ. So it doesn't matter whether you've been a believer five minutes or 50 years. They're all true of you. 100% ironclad for eternity. And so I just want to challenge you again today. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are on a regular daily basis? Is stuff I've said to you today, has it A, come as a total shock? Well, that's glad I told you. Has it come as one of those faint reminders? Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that, but it sort of it goes sort of filed under sort of important, but at the back of my mind, the filing cabinet right at the back where it can often slip down. Or is that something that you're living with day by day, week by week? Is it something that you grasp? Is it something that you dwell on? Is it something that you, you rejoice in and enjoy on a daily basis? 
We run the Freedom in Christ course here. And as part of the, the course, they have those lists of things that you read out. Many of you I know have done the course. I've done the course. And they, they ask you every day for a period of a week. And then they give you another list for another week to read them out aloud. To remind yourself who you are in Christ. They are powerful truths that shape and guide our life. If you haven't done that for a while, do that. I printed one out um, just the other day. I thought, I need to start reminding myself. I haven't done this for a while. I need to remind myself who it is. Some of you are on the course right now, and you've gone through that, and you've been reminded regularly. If you want to know more about that, grab Mike and Sarah, and we get plugged into the next course. But know who you are in God. And the final key, the third key, John knew his purpose. John knew his purpose. He knew he wasn't, knew who he was, and he knew what he was here for. He says, I'm the voice, one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, a strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. John knew the point of his life, and that was to point to the Messiah. That was to point to the coming one. He knew he wasn't it, but his job was to point to something else. Imagine a great big arrow that John had and he would spend his time pointing to somebody else, pointing to Jesus. That's what he wanted everyone to know about. I want you all to know about Jesus. There's this one coming and I want you to know all about him. And he told him, he told him two things. He told him one, who Jesus was. It says, a strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And there's a picture there. Um, the, the ones who would undo the sandals were the lowest um, kind of servant slave in society. They were the bottom rung because it was a manky, dirty, smelly job taking someone else's shoes off, dusty, sweaty feet. And so it was a, a role reserved for the lowest. And it was a role reserved for the lowest, but it was done to the highest. So the master of the house, the highest authority kind of in that little sphere They would have it done to them by the lowest. And John is saying, there's someone coming who is so high and I am so low by comparison, I'm not even worthy to do the lowest job. Someone is coming who is so infinitely greater and bigger and more impressive than I am that I don't even warrant kind of doing that lowest job to him. He's trying to get across the enormity of this person who was coming. And there's only one person who fits that role to, to, to make that comparison, and that person has to be God. And so he was pointing, God is coming. God is coming here, and I'm going to show him to you. God has come to earth as a man. God the Son is coming, and we know he was pointing to Jesus. And we know that it was the most impo- important news that you could ever give. There's lots of things buzzing around in the new days that we think that are important, this and that. But actually, John goes, I know what's number one. I know what the most important thing you need to know is you need to know who Jesus is. And he says he needed to reveal it to them because if you notice what he actually says is you don't even know when he's here. Kind of, He could be right here and you just wouldn't get it. That's why I'm here to point him to you. The most important person in humanity, in history of everything is here but you won't know it unless I tell you you won't know it unless I point it out to you that's my role is to let you know who he is 
And so you can see him for yourself. And the second thing he he pointed out is what Jesus would do. He told him who Jesus was and he told him what Jesus would do. What we find, John says, I baptize you with water. What it doesn't say in this gospel, it says in the other three, it says that, John says, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. One who's coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One of them also says Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, wow. But they say the Holy Spirit. And what's that about? Well, basically, John is saying is God is coming, and He's coming to bring power to transform you completely, not just on the outside, but thoroughly on the inside. A thorough cleansing from sin, all the things that in your life that offend you and separate you from God. It's going to cleanse you thoroughly. It's also going to mean that once you've been cleansed thoroughly, you'll be righteous and holy. You'll be adopted into his family. That's what the Holy Spirit is, a spirit of adoption by how we cry out, Abba, Father, and we look to our Father in heaven. Jesus is coming to do that, to make that happen, to bring you into that new community, to give you power to live. And that's what I'm here to tell you about. That's what I'm here to point to. That's what I'm here to, to say. And we know that comes through Jesus' death on the cross and his subsequent resurrection, ascension to heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We know kind of what that means in a bigger context, but that's, John says, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you there's one coming, and he's greater than I, and you need to know about him. And this shaped his whole life and ministry. This is what John did. He spent his time preaching and pointing people to Jesus. And it even got to the weird point, if you follow his sort of story through, where he even says, actually, I'm just going to get less and Jesus is going to get more. And you need to go follow him. Because he's the one it was all about anyway. Crowds came to me, but actually, he's the one you should be running after. And then this, in turn, Jesus passed on to us, the church, just before his ascension into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that was given to the early church, the first kind of believers in Jesus, and then that has traveled on down the centuries to us now. This is what we're about. Our commission as Christians is to tell anyone and everyone about Jesus. That's what we're to do. That is our purpose. We put that in the purpose statement of the church when we began the church. We believe real life is about having a relationship with Jesus, following the model of Jesus, and then changing our world with Jesus. First of all, you've got to have a relationship with him. We want you to know about him. Let me tell you. Let me point you to him so that you know him for yourself. And when it comes to us, men, I want to just challenge us today. What does your life point to? Does it point to Jesus? It's good to know who you're not. It's good to know who you are. But then that should then manifest in some kind of activity and attitude in our life. Who are you pointing to? What are you pointing to? First and foremost, it begins with your own life. Are you a worshipper? Are you someone who looks to Jesus? Are you someone who is following him actively, daily, readily? Do you read your Bible and pray as a daily habit? Is that something that is part of your daily? Spiritual diet, I do that every day. Or you on some kind of strange fast where I pick up my Bible once in a blue moon. Because our purpose is to be about him. Are we repenting of sin regularly when it comes up in our life and we're confronted 
by someone or we're reading our Bible and we suddenly realize or an attitude is highlighted. Do we do that? Are we being full of the Holy Spirit regularly? We ask for prayer. We ask God to fill us, change our lives when we're with others. Pray for me. Do we have a lifestyle of prayer that's not just us, but actually it's part of a community, a part of our life group, a part of our prayer meetings here as part of what we do to engage with God? Are you part of God's community, the church, whether it's this one or another church that you're a part of somewhere else in the country or the world? Are you active and part of that community? What about as a worker? Most of us guys spend our time doing some kind of job, whether it's a paid employment work uh, part-time or voluntary or whatever it is. We, we, we give ourselves to something. Are you doing that the best you can and point to Jesus? It says in Colossians that we're to work, as, work at everything as if we're working for Jesus, as if he's our boss, as if he's the one there beside us. He's the one we report to. He's our line manager. He's the one over us in authority. Are we doing that? How's it going in your workplace? Are you working hard? having honest and ethical dealings with colleagues or clients or managers or or parents or students or patients, whoever it is you work with? Are you living ethically there? Are you trustworthy? Are you considered well in that place, considered highly in that place because of the attitude you bring to that workplace? The converse, the other side would be that are you more likely to be the one gossiping, undermining, cutting corners, making shady choices about how you use your time and the resources that the workplace gives to you? Are you pointing to Jesus through how you act? Because the reality is God has uniquely placed you where you are right now. There's no one else who can do what you're doing right now in that place with those people, those bosses, those colleagues, those who serve under you. Whatever it is, God's placed you there for a reason, to point to him. What about if you are a husband here? Many of us are married Does how you love your wife point to Jesus? If you want an interesting conversation over lunch, look at your wife, sweetie, darling, whatever nice term you use for your nearest and dearest. How am I doing in loving you? Am I loving you as Christ loved the church? It says in Ephesians 5. That's what we're meant to do. Sacrificial love. How is that going? Am I pointing to Jesus in my marriage? How I deal with people outside of my marriage that reflects on my marriage? How I deal with other ladies? How is that reflected? How I talk about her indoors? How is that pointing to Jesus in what you do? For those of you who are fathers, grandfathers, spiritual fathers, uncles, how are you pointing to Jesus in those who you are serving, who are younger than you? Your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, students you might teach, How are you pointed to Jesus in those workplaces, in those places, in those relationships? Are you exhibiting godly attitudes, how you deal with them in areas of discipline and love and care and nurture? Are you showing them how to read their Bibles and pray and pointing in those directions for what you're doing? I think we're going to finish there. Got some questions there. Do you want to just stand? If you can reach your key, why don't you grab hold of it? And I'm just going to lead us in a little bit of prayer and response to that this morning. And we're going to go through those three questions again. Maybe you just want to just close your eyes. Holy Spirit of God, we pray. We ask you come now, fill this place, fill us.
Lord Jesus, we want to be men and women who are used by you. Because we want others to come and know you for themselves. Lord, we don't want the good things that we have experienced to terminate on us. We want it to go out and for others to enjoy the truth that we know. So the first question is, do you know who you aren't? Are there things in your life that you maybe are living for and going after that you want to use to define yourself? The big promotion, the the bigger house, the bigger car, whatever it is. The better this, the better that. Are there things that you need to now put down before God and repent of and say, actually, no. Although, in essence, none of those things are wrong. But actually to pursue them and be about them, that they define you, is wrong. Good things can become God things. And those things we don't want to happen. What about if there are things in your life that you know have been said to you, spoken over you, squeezed into you by the culture and the world that you now stand here and think, I've I've been tempted to believe those things. I've been living under a lie and a curse for too long. I want you now to just repent of that, to turn away from that thing. I will no longer believe that. I will no longer believe that. I will no longer let that define me. And instead, I will let what God's word said about me define me. I will praise through a lie with truth. And lies can't stand up to truth, just like the way darkness can't stand up to light. It just can't. If you know that's you, I want you to name it now before God and say very specifically, this is what I believe about myself. This is what I believed about myself. And I want to say the truth. This happened to me a few years ago when God highlighted to me I was believing about myself that I was a poor father, that I would never amount to be a decent father when we had our kids. And it was just a lie I had just imbibed and believed through just pressure of the world and other things and my own sinful, weak attitudes. And God highlighted to me and I had to repent of it and say, actually, no, by your grace, I'm going to be a good father. Because the Holy Spirit empowers me, works within me. And it, it was something that changed my life. If you know that's you, you do that now. What about, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know that you are holy and righteous? You are adopted into God's family. He is your heavenly father. You are a saint in the kingdom of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a member of a royal priesthood. You have been forgiven, declared not guilty. You are a new creation, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You are a citizen from, of heaven. You are free from condemnation and you have been born again. (laughs) And that's not even all of it. (laughs) That's just a bit of it. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that you didn't even earn that? That has been freely given to you in Christ. If those things are unfamiliar to you or you're just, you need to take time to get into them. To pursue those truths in God's word. To read them for yourself. To repeat them to yourself regularly on a daily basis. When I had to deal with the lies I had to, to, to get out of my life, it took me 40 days <laughs> reminding myself daily, this is what God says about me. There's a battle. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to go for that? Are you ready to live like that? And the last one, do you know your purpose? Do you know what God has called you to right now? 
do you know that your purpose is to point to Jesus in whatever he's called you to? You might still be at school, you might be studying at university, you might be just starting a job, you might have been in a job and getting promoted and getting moved around. You might have been following, kind of doing that for decades. Your purpose remains the same. You're here to tell people about Jesus. You're meant to work hard in what you do, serve your family, your relationships, your church, but ultimately it's all about him. Ultimately it all comes back to him. And I just want to pray kind of to finish, just to say that John the Baptist did these things. He knew who he wasn't. He knew who he was. He knew his purpose. But the road's not easy. If you know the story of John the Baptist, you know what happened at the end. He pursued God wholeheartedly, passionately, and he ended up in a prison cell. And then he was beheaded, ruthlessly beheaded on the request of some some yeah, drunken vow and then oh, horrific end to a man of God this isn't easy I appreciate that and Nor's pursuing these things doesn't necessarily end with all the roses ultimately it will but maybe not in this life but that's what we've been called to we've been called to follow him because Jesus said I will be with you always I will stand with you I will walk with you I will strengthen you I will empower you And finally, kind of, I guess the last key is, are you going to pursue this? Are you going to follow this? Are you going to say, this is what I'm about? Are you going to make that attitude of, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, come what may. The good and the bad, the light and the dark, whatever life throws at me, I'm going to follow you. I'm just going to pray and we'll finish. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you came to us. Lord, I want to thank you that you die for us. I want to thank you that because of your resurrection, we can know you. We can have life in fullness, Lord. I want to thank you for men like John who stand as an example to us to look at and to follow. Lord Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come fill us now that we'd be men and women used by you. We'd be men and women who know who we're not, who know who we are, and to know our purpose in you. We'd be men and women who will pursue you daily all the days of our life holy spirit come and fill us for your glory and your kingdom god's people said